0: Hi, my name is Hans Peter Meyer and you're listening to the Lyft Startups podcast series all about the entrepreneurs, creatives, and small businesses who are growing the next economy on Vancouver Island. Good morning, Angie.
1: Good morning, Hans. How are you?
0: I'm pretty good. Uh, Good. Hi, everybody who's listening. Today, I'm talking with Angie Barnard of the Network Hub in Nanaimo. I got that right, right? The Network Hub?
1: You, d- you did.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, what is the Network Hub?
1: The Network Hub is a co-working space uh, that uh, has a combination of offices, desks, meeting space, event space, and virtual office and uh our while we're in nanaimo we have about four and a half thousand square feet but we have network hub locations in eight different communities on vancouver island and the lower mainland so it really is a network hub and people who use the hubs can expect consistent uh, offerings of products and service in in each location
0: so what other locations on the uh, on the island
1: at the <laughs> moment we've got um it's not a full service co-working space yet but we're working in partnership with the young entrepreneurs society in victoria running their co-working space and we're in the process of a feasibility study for a hub into Tofino, which is very exciting
0: yeah that is very exciting so what makes uh, like there are a lot of co-working spaces so we we had we have three actually in the comox valley um, what makes the network hub different what makes it uh, innovative
1: yeah I think um, the, well we of course we we own and manage our own spaces Hans well you know where we negotiate with the property owner and we we set up long-term leases and take the risk and the and the worry away from from business owners and entrepreneurs so that they can just focus on getting your own uh, work done but our business model is really set up um, for two different styles of uh, business one is we can fully manage a space on behalf of a property owner so if you can imagine a uh, there's several I don't know about Comox Valley specifically been several uh, communities that I'm aware of there's a bit of a crisis in uh, chronically vacant office space mm-hmm. and we can come in and work with the property owners to from idea to to execution on uh, revamping their properties. So to be more conducive for uh, today's workforce. So that's a fully managed um, property. The other option is we also have affiliation. So we work with people who are independent co-working spaces and we provide the performance and infrastructure and systems to streamline their operations
0: so um w- where is where is the network like here so you so you manage and own the Ben franchise is that right
1: yeah. <laughs> pardon me the uh the network hub was started in two thousand and six in downtown Vancouver by three uh techies actually um well in of various capacity uh a lawyer by trade and and a couple of techies who really were looking for community um and really the the sort of essence of how co-working often comes to be. And they started with about 2000 square feet and grew to 10,000 square feet downtown Vancouver. And my understanding of the evolution of the different locations is that people who were in the original network hub uh, spun off and went to other locations. So, um, the second largest location is New Westminster, right in the, in the key. there. It's a mm-hmm. fantastic location. Um, and they've expanded there a couple of times over time. And there's Richmond, uh, Whistler. They are looking at developing Coquitlam. And they are in the process of building a new location in Chinatown, downtown Vancouver. And each time a hub is built, it is uh, managed by an entrepreneur. So it is, uh, you know, the, the operations are very entrepreneurially driven. That is the core of the basis of the, of the business model. So that, um, the entrepreneur who is, and, and in our, our model, it's called a licensee. Mm-hmm. so it, there's no, there's a prescription to the, to the software and the technology and, and the knowledge of what works and what doesn't work, but we can adapt each location to suit the local, local needs.
0: <clears throat> the um so so you're a, a lift member um yes if, uh, m- me as a lift member what what do i get uh at the network hub in the nimo and does do those things like like do things transfer to other network hub locations? Uh, tell me they, a bit about
1: that. Y- yeah, they do. So you typically have a base camp that you operate from where you are doing the majority of your business. So, um, you know, obviously somebody who has a, a permanent office in Nanaimo, they're usually running a small team. So this is where their office would be located. Now, just to give you a sense of who are in our offices, they are, it is a broad range, uh, very diverse from... Individual counselors, up to uh, remote offices of, um, you know, construction companies who are who have a head office in different cities, and this is their satellite office. To again, to uh, professional services, we have lawyers, we have um, debt consolidators, we have marketing companies in our offices. Um, we in uh, sorry, in thinking about your question is. So the, the office users don't tend to fluctuate much, right? Right. (laughs) Because they're usually based on, but the desk um, desk members or uh, people who are on passes, and I will explain passes in a moment, but these are people who use the drop-in work desks or the meeting room where um, they're literally doing business in several communities at a time. Mm -hmm. And you can use your hours if you like, or your membership in different communities we extend two to three, uh, two to three days per month in each location for members who are base camped in other communities.
0: Okay, that's cool. So if I'm a member in the Comox Valley, I could have access to services throughout the throughout the, the network of the network hub. Exactly. Um, from, from, yeah, very cool. Uh, well, because then that's great. I mean, I often find myself in Vancouver, for example, with a, a yes. place to work. Yes. Um, so you've talked a bit about who's in your, uh, who's in, in the Nanaimo location. What is your target audience? Like, who's your market? Who do you see as as the people that you're pitching to? Uh,
1: well, and for Nanaimo, it's, um I, I would say, it, it, every community is a little bit different. I'm going to sort of describe three styles of co-working space that we have in our portfolio. One is in a major urban center. So this is, you know, the downtown Vancouver's, um where there's a, you know, a million plus population to draw from. Obviously, there's lots of other co-working space options and office space options out there. Um, But you have a very large density of population to draw from. And they tend to be people who are living within five kilometers of that co-working space Mm. and probably living in, you know, smaller uh, residential uh, places. And then this is their main office. Once you get into the regions where you get into, I'll call it the second tier communities. And this is the, you know, the Nanaimo's um, to a certain
0: degree. Prince George. Exactly.
1: Lethbridge, Alberta, you know, those sort of second tier communities.
0: You're cutting out on me, Angie.
1: Of companies using the network hub in Nanaimo that are uh, regional, so they're coming from Colicum, they're coming from Campbell River, they're coming, and they're servicing their clients that are in Nanaimo. Well, they don't want to invest a significant amount in infrastructure; yeah. they just want to be able to, you know, use a meeting room or use a private office on demand right. for the hours that they're serving those clients. So we tend to be a regional hub servicing those communities that don't have their own co-working space and then you get into the i'll call them the um like the all for example tofino and we're we're trying to work on a, a hub um feasibility in it hasn't we haven't secured a contract but we're in muskoka ontario so those are resort destinations that have a very high uh change in uh population over the course of any given year so or over the course of seasons so those resort destinations again the clientele is a little bit different where yes of course you want you know 50 percent of your clientele to be locals and servicing the locals but 50 percent are likely to be people who are going to the destination for days weeks or potentially a couple of months in the off season
0: yeah yeah well I I know when I go to Tofino it's um I mean I I go to a coffee shop and it's it's great. My, my girlfriend and I hang out at the coffee shop. She does her stuff and drinks coffee, and I get some work done. But um, Tofino seems to me like a, the perfect opportunity for you guys.
1: Yeah, we're pretty excited about Tofino. <laughs>
0: okay. So, how long has um, have you been? Uh, has the hub been the network hub been up in Nanaimo? And and what got you started?
1: And so what got me started? I was in the business of accommodation for 10 years in downtown Nanaimo selling, you know, hotel rooms basically. So, um, it, uh, well, we had a guest house where we had family rooms and private rooms and individual dorm beds and ran a guest house. And it's quite, we sold that business years ago. And it was only uh, six months after that, that I, um, actually started the network hub. In Nanaimo, the business model, Hans, is almost exactly the same, right? You have a yeah. you have core infrastructure, you have common areas where, and you run activities and events and social uh, social things for uh, people who are your clientele. But at the end of the day, your primary uh, community that you're trading is space. So uh, it's a very, very similar business model. So it was easy for me to, to jump into. I... Um, I had a, a colleague who owned a property and he had six chronically vacant spaces and said, you know, I'd like you in my space just to help animate it. And within a year, his building was full. Um, you know, it's not entirely us. It was just a bit of animation in the property. Mm-hmm. We are—we have a second location in Nanaimo as well, which is only a block away. At the moment, I'm servicing both. So, you know, it's really interesting to... Um, uh, try, try and clone yourself and be in two places at, at once, but it, that comes with amazing partnerships and, and relationships with other entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and really my, uh, that's how I got into it. So it was a pretty easy transition for me to get into it. Yeah. And the big sell for me, honestly, Hans was <laughs> jumping into the network, literally the network to have, to be able to be working with partners um, who have, who had, who had, who had gone through the process uh, for ten years, they've already worked out the kinks on what works and what doesn't work in different locations on the Lower Mainland, and uh, and they have systems that I can that I can jump into because the the fun for me is really accelerating the community um, mm-hmm. startup uh, culture, or whether it's really just and and where I love really focusing is on the growth phase when when companies are or individuals are saying. Uh, I've I've got to a certain amount of cash flow working out of my office at my home, or, you know, we're, we're, we're successful in Victoria. And now we want to open in Nanaimo. That's where I get excited because we can help them uh, broker their, their connections and clients and as well as, you know, serving things with their space needs.
0: Cool. Yeah. Well, I, I, I get that excitement of the growth phase. I mean, that's what I get to do with Lyft is always talking to people who are, really excited about growing something so so my question to you is like how big can, can this get like how, how big can what you're doing in the NIMO um, like are you so you're actually working on the Tofino project is that your project or is that the network hub project or how is that uh,
1: so I initiated the Tofino hub project and that was purely um, when I say initiated the demand was coming from Tofino itself I was right. hearing you know a, people who were dropping into the network hub here in Nanaimo saying, oh, I wish we had one in Tofino. I was hearing from uh, community business leaders. I was hearing from politicians that it would be excellent. We need to diversify our economy. Yeah. We need infrastructure, uh, an infrastructure project like this to help us, um, you know, with our, with our as part of the pieces of the community infrastructure. And um, so the rural economic diversification funding came up, um, last year. And, uh, and I, I know about that because I sit on the small business roundtable, um, which is helping advise the government about small business needs. So it, it came up and, uh, I just called, you know, a a few people I know in Tofino. In fact, I just called Josie straight to the the mayor of Tofino. Josie is now the right time. Should we apply for funding to you know, you've been talking about it for a couple of years and that I know of is now the right time. And they said, absolutely. Let's jump on it.
0: Oh, cool. So yeah, she's a pretty dynamic uh, You know, they've named a donut after her. They have, they no, have, a, they have a Tofino donut company. I can't remember what the Tofino donut place is called, but they actually have a Josie donut.
1: Well, it's, you know, she's, she's pretty, <laughs> so I'm not surprised.
0: <laughs> That's good. Um, so let's talk about the positive spin-offs of a successful co-working space for the local, like the local economy, but also for the Island economy.
1: Well, for, um, from the local economy, I mean, you asked about how, how big I can get or how big it can get. Um, I would like to be in a, in a perfect world at 10,000 square feet after three years. Um, we're at four and a half after two and a half years. So I think that's a manageable target at that square footage. I mean, this is really just just space and, and economics that it would be self-sufficient in its own right. um, And uh, a a business in its own right where there's, you know, there's jobs coming out of it. um, And, you know, the culture of entrepreneurs serving on infectious. so, the, I watch serendipity happen every day. And I, I know you work out of a co-working space on, so I know, or know you already sold on this notion, but when um, somebody pops into the network hub for a meeting, quite often they will, you know, suggest to me, oh, they're looking for somebody or they have a new uh, vacancy coming up or they're looking to connect with a business that supplies, you know, graphic design work or, you um, you know, they want to get their accounts on the, on the cloud. And, and quite often I have a bank of suppliers and other members that are sitting right there in their business cards right there, and I just feed them to it. Sometimes other people walk in the door and they solve their own problems all by themselves. It's, it's, um, it's very exciting. Uh, it really community of people that feed each other um, and don't underestimate the time spent when, you know, you, you're looking for a, a quick computer problem. And instead of spending half an hour researching it online, you actually just turn to a colleague and say, do you know how to fix this? And they go, yep, here, done. Um, all of those little things that come from when you're working independently to, it's almost like being in a, in a larger corporate environment, but uh, you're, you're completely surrounded by people who are incredibly resourceful and, you know, of the same mindset and of, of the same culture. And so I'll, I'll call it that exponential uh, cultural growth is it's very infectious. I think that's really the, the biggest spinoff for the people who are members of the of a, any particular hub the, the community spin-off um, is several I, I would there was probably two to three key community spin-offs. Number one, is it we are part of the pathway to people being able to test working, living here before a major investment so uh, we can become part of the economic development formula where we reduce the risk of, uh, I mean, I can tell you case stories of people who've used our space and, you know, they've flown over here from Vancouver one day a week to test whether there's a market in Nanaimo for their services. And within six months to a year, they're operating full-time out of Nanaimo with three jobs. Um, That's very exciting. It's very exciting. And, you know, and and it's great for us because we can handle the small teams within our our hub. Once they get to, you know, and and we've already had case studies like this too, where a team comes in and they start with three and they've got an office in and they've become a team of 14 in less than months. Well. That becomes the osmotic relationship between myself and the commercial property owners or the other building owners, where I can say, yeah. listen, you know, we've got other vacant space in our property or there's a space rate right downtown. And I make it my business to try and have those relationships and those referral relationships so that there's a bit of a seamless transition
0: for companies that grow quickly. Well, Nanaimo is downtown Nanaimo is very lucky to have you there. Uh, Tell us where we can find you online and also give us your uh, location downtown.
1: So, (coughs) pardon me, uh, online, if you uh, can find us on the network hub. That is the landing page for all of the hubs. So the network hub.ca. If you just throw in backslash Nanaimo, you'll find us and the services that we offer in Nanaimo. Uh, two addresses downtown. We're at 256 Wallace Street and we're at 155 Skinner Street downtown. These are both within a block and a half of the flow plane uh, terminal, the conference and major. And we're excited to have a partnership with Helijet. So we um, Helijet clients can can fly over from Vancouver and and be at the hub. Uh, As well, with us. It's only about
0: uh, a kilometer away from their terminal as well. Okay, super. Now we're going to take a short break and then we'll come back and do the second part of this podcast interview, uh, which is going to be about you, but Angie Bernard, the entrepreneur. So we'll talk to you in a minute, Angie.
1: Okay, thanks, Hans.
0: Okay, now the second part, we've just been talking to Angie about uh, the Network Hub, the business that she runs in downtown Nanaimo, but this part of the podcast, we're going to talk about Angie Barnard, the entrepreneur. So the first question here is, um, what's the what's your favorite thing about the work you're doing right now?
1: <laughs> uh, it's, it's really all about the people. Um, I, I can't, I get a lot of diversity and I get to, um, be part of people's lives, whether I'm choosing to or not, it's actually incredibly rewarding. And, uh, if you've talked to anybody who's been part of a a co-working space in the past, quite often they become, uh, not just colleagues, but they become, become friends. So it's very rewarding in that respect.
0: I find the same thing working with uh, creatives and entrepreneurs. It's just uh, there's so much energy. It's, um, it's exactly. Really yeah. So, what are three things that people don't know about you or your business? <laughs>
1: um. So my the network hub is my is I guess my business that's focused on the space leasing. I do have a second stream of my business, which is called Thrive Junction. I, uh, we focus on the consulting side. So that is the working with, in that case, it's the business to business side. So we work with municipalities and primarily property owners, um, and majority property owners that again, want to convert and transform. Space. So our tagline with Thrive Junction is transforming distinctive places into workplace destinations. So that's one. Uh, Two is uh, the, let me see, I I guess on a personal note, I am an Australian Canadian duo citizen. That's all very exciting. I spent seven years in Australia (laughs) and uh, most of my time in Australia was... um, was quite diverse but working in events management and um and I ended up working for the department of sport and recreation there in facilities consulting so you know there was there was definitely a synergy and and I'm definitely at this cumulus of of experiences at the past to be able to implement and execute from you know event services and and culture and um you know, and, and being able and, and have a, always having had a focus on facilities management. Uh, maybe a third thing, Hans, like a bit of a fun thing is uh, I have three primary parents. Uh, all three are entrepreneurs. My dad was a farmer. My mom, step was a travel agent and my mom um, has done several jobs, but most recently as she's gotten older in, in Nanaimo, she does spin farming. So, you know, it's, it's in my blood. Entrepreneurship
0: is definitely in my blood. (laughs) Very cool. Um, What was your biggest failure and what did it teach you?
1: Um, I probably jumped to this story of when I was the general manager of the state sporting softball association in Australia. And I would have been in my late twenties and the association of course had been around for 40, 45 years. So, you know, and again, we were managing uh, a state level uh, uh, softball infrastructure with four fields on it and as well as the state teams and all the programming and all the events. And I stepped into the position coming from the background of, again, facility management, uh, sponsorship. And I jumped in with a lot of uh, tradition, sort of my classic Angie energy and just did a little bit of a, a physical cleanup of the process so that it was spick and span so that we could you know start bringing in sponsors and show them around and got all very excited. And what I learned... <laughs> From that experience was uh that when you when you're stepping into an established culture or an establishment that you need to tread very carefully and not necessarily slowly, but you need to really have your eyes open and listen and onto it for allowing the people who've been involved for a long time to to make change. At their own pace. So um, I guess I put a, uh, some people offside with my energy level right at the beginning, and it was hard to crawl back from that, Hans. So you know, I I, I would say the mistake I made was simply um, assuming that they that my board that was that had hired me wanted to jump in and leverage my expertise quickly and in hindsight i probably would have just kind of rode the wave for a year bef- and then uh, and then presented them with suggestions and recommendations allowed them to make the decision so <laughs> you know it was it was a, a piece of wisdom that i've learned and taken with me uh, through the through my life since then which is you know you, you if you're in a leadership role allowing people to uh, come to their own decisions and helping them um, you know, helping put answers in front of them mm. and patience.
0: Patience. <laughs> um, have mentorship or community played a role in your success?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, in fact, uh, and my mentors have accumulated over time. I would say, um, and some of them are active Hans and I mean, active, like I, I, you know, I talk to them on a, on a regular basis, maybe once or t- once a week or once a month to the, I'll call them the passive mentors. These are people who uh, in, maybe in previous jobs or previous roles plays a significant part and their legacy and wisdom has stayed with me. So even if they're not sitting beside me, they are certainly, they're actively helping me make decisions every day. It might be, you know, what did, what would Brett do in this situation? what would Brett say? Even if I'm not actually talking to him, um, you know, I I know what his approach would be. And I would say I probably have um, probably about 10 core people that are, that help me make decisions every day. Um, Sometimes mentors are just, uh, I'll call them business um, icons, if you like, people that I read up on and Th- those aren't necessarily consistent, but they're more chapter related. You know, like the the Richard Bransons and the, um, uh, you know, a Phil, uh, Phil Nogutin When we were doing the uh, Deep Ocean Discovery Center, I mean, there was amazing amount of of people who were mentors at, in different chapters for me. Cool.
0: <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> now you've hired a few people in your life. Is that right?
1: i have in different positions yes
0: Uh, who is your most important hire um and and why why was that
1: great question i would um my most important hire would have been uh at a time when my, my husband and I ran a business together, we ran the painted Turtle guesthouse House for, for 10 years together. And in the last two years of operation, he, um, he went into a, a different business and I was running day-to-day operations. He was still involved, but I was running day-to-day operations on my own. And so, you know, I was in charge of hiring my own team and I hired uh, two gals and uh, they, they were both instrumental and the reason why they were instrumental is they were an extension of, of me, mm-hmm. not, not me as a person, but I'll say that, you know, it was a yin yang. It was here. Here's my personality. Here's my strengths. Here's my role. And here's what your roles are. And we, the the three of us um, in my book and how I kind of structured it was that we were a three-legged stool. You know, the strongest stool is the one that, that uh, you can sit on and they all support each other. Um, they and then you know I managed, or at least I tried to manage, that the three of us so that we were consistently complementary of each other, um, didn't step on each other's toes too much, but we were essential roles to making the business work.
0: What 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 role can you can would you break? How would you describe those three roles?
1: <laughs> those three roles. Um, you know, if you want to put a title on it or for ease of of visualizing it, one would be like an office um, and administrative manager and one was a client services manager and then there was me. So I would quickly, I would say one was in in overall responsible for the back end systems operations and one was in charge of front end systems and operations. So, um, and then me being overall um, and, and having, you know, eight years of the, of the business to be able to guide them. And I gave them as much autonomy as possible. Um, I'm quite, quite proud. When we sold the business, one of the, one of the girls ended up staying on and managing the whole entire business, the property management, the the frontline and the backline for all, for almost a year. So that wow. to me, um, was a bit of personal pride in, you know, a her having the confidence to do it, but also um she had the capacity because, you know, she was open. I allow, allowed them to learn and and they were both very learned people, um, naturally curious and you know, so it, it stood them well for the for their career. Okay, cool.
0: <clears throat> Good story. So are you a reader? I am. Okay. So I feel-
1: yeah, well, I'm giggling as you say that because, you know, the image that immediately popped up in my mind was that, you know, classic cocktail moment with Tom Cruise where he's down in the Caribbean and he pulls out the book of professional development under his under his bar. And, and that that that's me. You know, I'm I've got <laughs> I've got a whole library. I'm looking at it right now in the network hub. I, I would say I probably have about 60 uh, professional or you know business development books here. Um, and so I've always constantly got one or two on my bedside table,
0: but uh, I also
1: read for fiction as well for leisure.
0: What was your favorite book as a child?
1: Ooh, great question. Uh, I would say very difficult, but, um, to say a favorite, but I would have a favorite genre. I was a Nancy Drew, um, fanatic. Uh I was a, um, you know, so there, you that's sort of getting into age. I wasn't, I was too old for harry potter when i was a kid but uh those genres i read a lot of um you know the willy wonkas and the chocolate factories and things that had some event definitely adventure and uh, and creativity solving problems were very typically flying thieves even as a kid
0: okay. okay so um as an adult do you have a favorite book
1: <laughs> um I, I don't have a favorite book, but I accumulate, uh, I have a handful of books on my bookshelf right now. Um, I'm a Mitch Albom fan, so I have a a collection of those. They're really life stories with, with deep morals to them to, uh, I don't know if anybody's read Terry Follis, but Oh Holy Moly, he's been my, my humor, uh, escape because, you know as it's blending uh, business, politics, a uh, little bit of a love story all in uh, you know, a, a trilogy series starting with the best laid plans. And if you haven't read it and if you appreciate fast reading and and politics, uh, highly recommended.
0: Okay. <clears throat> what are you reading right now?
1: <laughs> um, oh great question. On the side of my desk, I am well, I've just read, literally just read, um, good, great, Jim Collins, and um, as far as the business book, and um, I read recently a story, I, a bit of a favorite of Australian authors, so I um, I have one sitting on the side of my, on my bedside table. Unfortunately, leisure novels tend to sit on my bedside table for a really long time, because books end up jumping in first and uh, juggling life with a nine-year-old and 11-year-old who are very active and running a business. Doesn't leave me a whole lot of time for, <laughs> for lecture reading, but uh, yeah, Good to Great Jim Collins is the most recent business
0: book I read. Okay. Um, so what is the novel you're reading?
1: <laughs> you you came, bringing me back to that, you know, I confess that I, uh, I can't remember the title of it. Um, oh, okay. I can, I can tell you the story that it was, uh, it's, it's based on, and if I think of it, I'll, I'll post it on your Lyft, um, Facebook page, but, um, it's the, it's an Australian author, uh, Tim, Tim Wynn, And it was a story about an Australian who, uh, you know, left a career and, uh, got remarried and, and was living in a, in a small town in in rural Australia it was really just the story of, of her life and it was uh, incredibly visual. So that was one of the things that uh, appeals to me is, is when somebody writes with in, in a style that allows you to you know, be very visual in your creative mind on, on what they're
0: okay. on the
1: landscape. It's pretty, pretty vivid.
0: Okay. Well, one of, one of my favorite authors is also an Australian author. Do you know Peter Carey?
1: I don't know the name.
0: Uh, every novel, every novel is, is very much into a certain kind of genre. Like he's he's written a book set in Dickensian London that's very much written as a as a as a Dickens novel. And he's he just they're they're all he he wrote a book about uh, Ned Kelly. Um, Great. Right. Like like there's just a series of amazing books, but they're very very different, and some of them are way out there. Anyway, and I went, that was what um, Peter. Peter Carey, R E okay, I'm
1: going gonna, I'm gonna to put that on. I do keep a list on my phone of uh, books and movies that are recommended to watch, so I'll add that to my book
0: to my list. Well, okay, movies. Uh, there's um, I, I believe it might have been actually uh, based on a Peter Carey novel, but it's an, it's the Australian um, movie uh, Bliss, and it came out, I think, in the late 80s, but I, uh, I love that one. Anyway, what is the smartest thing... Angie Bernard has ever done
1: (laughs) Uh, smartest thing Angie Bernard has ever done Um, holy crow okay that's a good way to stump me I would say um, keeping the oil topped up in my car
0: (laughs) Uh yeah That's
1: a good thing to do. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, but these are a, a wisdom that are ingrained. You don't even know that your parents ingrain them in you, but they're there and they, they take you for life. So I always keep my gas tank at the top end and my oil uh, topped up. Uh, think of this Dixie Chick song. But, and, uh, and you know, I always have a $20 bill tucked in in each pocket, of each suit jacket and in the glove compartment of the car, it, you know, and just in case. You're
0: just you want, prepared. Be yeah, prepared. you just
1: be a little bit prepared. And uh, so those are the, some of the little things. Um, you know, there is no, I, I, I find it difficult to ask the smartest thing, I, um, but I would say as a general course, is the smartest thing I've done at each stage Of my life is celebrate successes okay because if you don't nobody's gonna do it for you so i really make a conscious effort to stop and think and analyze and then take action but and when i'm stopping and thinking and and reflecting on you know maybe uh the day, or the week, or the or the year, um, I've made a conscious effort to actually celebrate both for myself, but also with others, uh, successes along the way. So you, you know, quite often, um, friends and family. You know, we we've had ten year anniversary parties in business and life, and we've had um, you know one year anniversaries. We've I've gone out with colleagues on when you land a contract. Uh, because if you don't celebrate those little successes, y- you forget just how far you've come.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it, it's more of a of a lifestyle trend than it is a, a single individual act.
0: Okay. Well, here's a, another opportunity to to uh, speak to a specific thing. What's the dumbest thing you've ever done? <laughs>
1: um. Oh, I I would say, you know, when, when you're reading, so this is in regards to time management. One of the dumbest things I ever did was, you know, look at a plane ticket and where it says the departure is at say 4pm and I'm literally in the airport switching, switching planes and decide to go to the departure gate at, you know, 10 minutes to four. Well, they had already closed the door and were, you know, nearly on the tarmac. And uh, luckily, the gate attendants at the, at the airport said, are, are you Angie? And I said, yes. I'm like, don't I have 10 minutes before departure?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and they're like, yes. But you know what? We'll get you on this plane. So, you know, <laughs> again, just prepare in advance and consider the uh, the, the lead Time for a departure date is or a departure time is much more than just the actual takeoff
0: good one well i've got I've got a, a dumb travel story for you but I'm not going to do, do it on on air here um, <laughs> so if you if you meet me in private and you Angie or anybody listening to this you can ask me about the dumbest thing I've ever done with regard to travel um, what's the scariest thing you've ever done
1: i think uh well and i'm about to go through another major life transition um which is is a topic for another podcast or or just more glad to side hans but um every single major life transition has been really quite scary so sure there's moments of of jumping off a bungee bridge and things like that but i think it's more you're leaving home for the first time at 17 and a half when you're going off to university and, you know, the anxiety that's going through your, your blood, it's anticipation and excitement, but then it's also, you know, angst about whether I'm planned enough. Do I have, am I smart enough? Am I, uh, am I going to be able to make this work? And I, you know, going off to university and then at 24 going to Australia solo, um, was a was a pretty scary thing at the time. Um, you know, I haven't done too many what I call high risk, um, scary things. So I'll leave it as the, the the major life transition points when you when you're just jumping off. Once you're once the momentum is there and you're on your way, it's usually fine. But it's that that point of let's let's
0: go. So how do you get through that?
1: Um, always uh, write it down say, this is what I'm going to do. I'll, I'll, one of my perfect s- stories is, you know, I, I, knew exactly what I wanted when I was going to Australia, I wanted $10,000 in the bank. I wanted, um, you know, I wanted to have three potential job interviews all lined up before I go. And I had all of this thing in, in my mind. And then I shared with my dad, I said, you know, my dad, I want to go in September, but you know, I'm only going to have $5,000 in the bank. And he just looked at me and he said, why do you need, why do you need $10,000 in the bank before you take an action?
0: <laughs>
1: and I just looked at him and blinked. And I said, I don't know. It was just an arbitrary number that I thought would be safe. And he said, go. And I bought my ticket the next week. So, mm-hmm. it's, you know, how, how to get through it is even if you have in your mind what you you need to be planned and ready um, talk to your trusted confidants and advisors. They know you well, they know how you work and they'll sometimes give you this glimmer of, of opportunity that you may not be aware of yourself and then just act. Then it's just a matter of all the little steps to get there.
0: So including showing up at the gate on time,
1: including getting on the plane,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you
1: know what? And if you miss that one, there's always going to be another plane.
0: Right okay so this is um uh something about you what is something that that's quirky about you that most people don't know about you
1: um i'm probably one of the few people um that i know that doesn't doesn't have a tattoo i don't have piercings in any odd places (laughs) i um i do have my ears pierced in the traditional way was from when i was 10 but um so that that's quirky and I am a, an avid trail runner at this point. So it is really my, um, my outlet. I mean, physical outlet, mm-hmm. uh, two years ago, a, a girlfriend, um, uh, I kind of tricked myself into doing a 50 K trail race, uh, the Finlay scenario wow. here on Vancouver Island. And, uh, I started in, in, march hardly being able to run 10ks at that point to running the 50k in september so it's and once you've done that once you have a race like that or an, an ultra marathon under your belt you realize physical potential you realize uh, it helps you realize anyway that you know you, you think you're done at, at four hours and suddenly you run 10 and and you, I can't explain what it's like on the other side of four hours when, if you've ever run for that long and you think, how could I possibly do it again <laughs> or go beyond this? But once you do the adrenaline kicks in and your body is capable of, of amazing things in your mind, it's really a mental game. And so until you set yourself up for some of those big and just start training for them, <clears throat> you don't know what's on the other, other side of what you've already achieved so far. And that, that, sort of analogy of of the trail racing is really what I apply in in my personal life but also in my business life as well
0: cool so what new this is I've borrowed this from uh, uh, Tim Ferriss and his tribe of titans um, podcast series which I quite enjoy Uh, this is one of his questions what new belief behavior or habit adopted within the last five years is having the most positive impact in your life today
1: Um, definitely, uh, discipline of daily routines. Um, it is very easy to, um, to, you know, I hear a lot of verbiage about innovation and creativity and, um, you know, having your own schedule and being your own entrepreneur and, and I would say to people, it is it is not for the faint of heart. I mean, this this is grit and um, some monotony. It is um, you know, it's ritual, business rituals and business uh, discipline. So I am ironically where I where people often would probably characterize me as being very. Um, creative and, uh, flexible and, um, I'll call it, you know, adaptive and, and spontaneous, but what's actually behind that personality is an awful lot of ritual. So <clears throat> waking up early, doing a lot of reading before the rest of the family gets up, um, doing a lot of thinking in that time, before get distracted to, you know, sitting down at my desk pouring my cup of coffee i confess that i had to in between our podcasts heat up a cup of coffee it's my it's my personal ritual you know testing all emails checking emails once once a day at the beginning and once a day at the end is the only time of day that i i spend doing emails and so it's really getting into that discipline routine to get all of the required work done so that you actually have time to meet with new clients or read a new book or a magazine Douglas being my favorite um, business magazine right now is, you know, reading what other people are doing to be able to, to, to keep you on top of creativity is real important.
0: Cool. If you could have a conversation with somebody who died before you were born, who would that be? And what would you talk about?
1: One of my mates in Australia, we I, we used to have this conversation every six months: is who would you invite to a dinner party? Um, I there's no one person that jumps out at me, but I would love to talk to a First Nations chief, um, and uh, I, I actually I think the new language at the moment is Aboriginal chief about how to harness and capture the wisdom of ancestors over time. You know, like I I had this, um, this childhood uh, love of the medicine woman type role, where they're born with, uh, I don't know if you ever read Clan of the Cave Bears, but uh, there's a character in that way. You're born with all of the intellectual property of, of the people before you, and then you just gain what you gain in your life, in your lifetime. And then when you dine, you, your siblings or the next person has everything that you've accumulated, et cetera. And to be able to tap in and harness that, I believe uh, there's, a, there's a natural tendency to do that in, in Aboriginal cultures more so than Western cultures. And so I would love to talk to somebody who has already experienced that and then passed on to say, you know, what piece of wisdom would you offer us um, who are in the living today that mm. we can adopt for, because I'm a big believer that um, I'm not a, a religious person, but I'm certainly spiritual. And I believe that it, it is, we're all a big bundle of energy. So how to harness that energy and pass it on effectively uh, to leave a legacy.
0: So you would be talking to somebody who, May have experienced early contact on on the island or something like that. So you know I what? They had died before you were born. Exactly. Yeah.
1: There is and there's something about the energy here on Vancouver Island that I can. I have traveled the world, Hans, and you know when when Bruce and I were traveling, um, we were planning on uh, hitting the U.S., Canada, heading to South America with the plan of going back to Australia, and we got to Vancouver Island, and this place was like a natural magnet for me. So there is some kind of energy here, which is, uh, I would say, grounded in um, the environment and entrepreneurship and exploration and uh, deep work ethic, Um, but also people know how to play hard here. And um, I'm just, you know, the, the energy here is completely
0: magnetizing. Well, that's a good segue into the next question, which is, what is one thing every Vancouver Islander should do this year, something most Islanders don't know about or don't know the value of?
1: Um, Every individual is different, but I would suggest uh, going to pick, pick a place that is the highest elevation and potentially the lowest elevation that they can access in their own community. So if you are in Nanaimo, go to the top of Mount Benson and don't just I, I mean you can cheat a little bit, you can drive up partway and the, but actually walk up there and have a look around at the 360 degree view. If you are in um, Courtney and go to the you know go to the top of, of uh, the ski Mountain, and Mount Washington. Washington, Thank you, sir. And, and have a look around and there is nothing like standing on the, the pinnacle of a mountain. Or if you tend to be, you know, there's a lot of diving and scuba diving is, is get your snorkel on and, and go under the ocean and think about, you know, the depths of, of the ocean as well. So the heights, the highs and the, and the lows of where your environment is And um, really just take time to take that in and absorb it because you will be gobsmacked with the beauty of where we live.
0: Okay. Now, this is an opportunity for you to be a venture capitalist or or an economic development officer. If someone gave you $1 million to spend in one year, what would you do to support local entrepreneurs? What, What three things might you do? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well and this was one of the easiest questions because for me um is I would do exactly what I'm doing which but I just do it on bigger scale. I would I would would fast track a little bit of the uh incremental steps when when it is just my own purse and my own risk and my own financial capacity financing uh a hub and and aggregate leverage a million dollars to, to have say a five million, get up partners on board and build a five million innovation hub. Uh, Our, our brand of hubs that we want in our consulting side are called smart hubs, which stands for service, manufacturing, art and design, trade and distribution and uh, uh, technology and innovation. And those smart hubs, I would have literally 10,000 square feet of, um, people could retail, have pop-up retail. They could have the office. We would have a boutique um, manufacturing. You know, we had 3D printers. We had <clears> that it was technology enabled to allow people to um, product test new, new services. It would allow us to build things that maybe, uh, you know, we don't have the, the massive manufacturing plants to support and uh i would do that starting tomorrow
0: cool very cool um i'm gonna throw this question at you it wasn't in the list list of questions that i, that I gave you but uh it, it seems to be one that's really important to Lyft. uh well, i know it is because that's why i started Lyft because i had a vision um what is your vision for vancouver's uh, economy in i don't know five years 10 years 25 years but Pick a number and just kind of give us a quick snapshot of what's happening in in uh, on the island or in, in Nanaimo. Uh,
1: so it's, I'm a big believer that if you look after um, pennies, the dollars look after themselves. If you look after individual people or individual companies, the economy will look after itself. So I uh, tend to uh, focus on the the trees, not the forest. So, if you plant or, you know, nurture the right uh, individual companies, then the economy will blossom. <clears throat> and the other aspects of a, of a society and a community, the social aspects, the environmental aspects, uh, I believe will look after themselves. I do fully believe in entrepreneurs' power to transform uh, the social life and, the, and they will look at... Uh, I don't know any that don't put the environment as a priority. Um, so in focusing on uh, small business to start or, uh, you know, how small business can help medium businesses grow, I, um, I would like to, I, I, and I also have an abundant mindset, Han. So I think, you know, we have everything that we possibly need already here. We just need to uh, focus on it and, and grow it. So, um, you know, from a, w- what would be my vision for the next five years would be to uh, get, uh, and and we are implementing this, but, but pick three or four key sectors, uh, maybe one per community, and grow that whole sector and focus and put all of our resources into that one sector. Because if you... Um, if you look after a particular sector, the, the rest benefit. The rest yeah. will benefit. So, you know, we are we will be running um, the Be Smart Ultimate Event Series. Really, is is a is a event fifty plus small business accelerator events plus a conference that will bring together six to seven leaders, uh, business leaders in a particular sector. And we will focus on accelerating, you know, up to 200 uh, businesses or entrepreneurs in that sector, and focus on that sector over the over a over a three to five year period. So um, I'm I'm not quite at liberty to divulge our first theme, um, but being in the it it makes sense to start here because we um, yeah. because of my network. But my goal would be to do that for every community on Vancouver Island. If we could do that on every, for every community on Vancouver Island over the next, well, let's say five, let's say one, one community for the next five years where we would bring the, the, the Be Smart Ultimate event series. And one of the legacy pieces of that, of course, is to have a, a, an innovation hub specific to that sector in the community in which um, in which it serves. And so, if we could have five hubs and five, um, you know, themes that were or sectors that are thriving in different communities, we effectively become a network of of entrepreneurs that um, that work very tightly together and accelerate each other um, without a lot of, you know, without having to get bogged down by the the the. The high-level politics or the high-level economic development that, you know, by its very nature is thwart with um, uh, uh, egos and, and change and election uh, promises that may or may not get delivered. I think the the entrepreneurs and the company owners have the capacity to look after themselves.
0: Agreed, and uh, I'd like uh, Lyft to be, uh, you know, supporting that that vision. That that's that's a great one. In fact, I have an idea about how we could. Um, we've we've got a spot next year in our calendar that might be a, a useful one for that. But we'll talk about that later. Um, what advice do you have for young entrepreneurs on Vancouver Island?
1: Um, I would say E uh, two things. Um. Yeah. Entrepreneurship is a mindset. So <clears throat> I'm going to uh, go back to the analogy of the of the trail running ultra marathon. Um, it is difficult to, if you're an entrepreneur, you you were born into it or you uh, were nurtured into it <clears throat> through experiences and education. <clears throat> just understand that it's very difficult to shed. You, you either are you are not. Uh, and there's absolutely no, um, I'll spin it the other way. There's absolutely uh, great character in not being an entrepreneur. <clears throat> it's, um, it's liability, not an asset. And so if, if, um, if you are an entrepreneur, own it, understand that it's a, it's a, it's going to stick with you for the rest of your life. You be uh, very upfront, even if you are in a job, so even if you're not running your own business at this point, I think you need to share with your employer or whoever is writing your paycheck that you know you have an entrepreneurial mindset. This is how you think, um, and uh, and and try and set yourself up into an environment where you are able to nurture that, um, because if it's. I, I, you know, I, I watch people around me in the network hub all the time, um, who are coming in and and they're, you know, they're seeing counselors, they're, they're, they've got ulcers, they're, you know, they, um, are having personal problems, um, health problems and, uh, but be kind to yourself. So it's, um, you don't have to, success is not necessarily dollars and cents and, um, and fast cars and, and big houses. It really is being putting yourself into a network and it, and sharing the mindset and the experiences with fellow entrepreneurs, because you're the only one that has ever written a paycheck, um, or paid, you know, large amounts of taxes. There's only a certain subset of the, of the population that does that and surround yourself with those people because <laughs> that they'll understand all you need to really do is look at each other. And, and you, you know, that, um, you can't explain to somebody who is, uh, let's say a manager in a, in a job who's fired somebody versus you own your own business and you had to let somebody go or fire somebody. It, it is a very different experience when you're the one that is a hundred percent responsible. Um, so it's an endurance game, be fit for work. And I mean that very literally is you need to sleep hard. So you need to work hard because, um, you know, you need to have scheduled outlets for personal time and for fitness time um, because it really is an endurance. It it really is an endurance run.
0: Good one. Now your last question, um, do you like food? Yes, I do. Okay. And you've traveled a little bit, right? I have. So what's your favorite place to eat in the whole world?
1: Uh, Well, I'm an Alberta raised girl, so I I, I can't get past Alberta beef as far as one of my favorite foods. Um, But from a, from a global scale, I would say Thai food is, is one of my favorite genres. Um, And so where to eat uh, would be uh, classically, on my own house back deck with a group of 12 friends surrounded by fairy lights and the fantastic view of the Nanaimo Harbor with a catered dinner party. Um, and I don't know if you can tell, but this is coming from experience is as much as I love restaurants and I love to be, uh, is there is nothing like a kitchen party where you're amongst friends and you can be boisterous and you have this amazing food and, and then, an, you know, an amazing view and amazing surrounds. So I, I got it. I can't look any further than my own
0: back deck. Super. Yeah. It's surprising how many people uh, come up with a version of this, like that eating in their, <laughs> eating in their own, in their own home is, is uh, their favorite place to eat in the whole world. Um, thank you very much for uh, making the time for this, Angie. And, um, Uh, Looking forward to having you on board as a Lyft VIP and talking about what we can do with Lyft and the network hub. Um, I'm certainly excited by your your vision and um, look forward to working with you.
1: Well, and I just want to give you a a little plug as well as, uh, you know, we met a a few years ago at the Vancouver Island Economic Alliance Summit. And and you've come a significant way, you know, come along significantly. And I think Lyft is an amazing um, culture and program and membership. I would encourage other people to do it. And we hope that we can help stimulate uh, more lifties down here in the Central Island for you.
0: Great, well, and and just on that note, um, anybody from the Central Island who's listening, um, it's a half price membership for your first year with Lyft. So uh, please be in touch, and uh, we'll talk soon, Angie. Take care. Thanks, Hans. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lift Podcasts, a series all about the entrepreneurs, creatives, and resource people who are growing local businesses. If you liked what you heard, please share via email or social media. And if you are sharing via social media, please use Vancouver Island's talent brand or talent tag Hashtag W E A R E V A N I S L. That's hashtag we are Van Isle. This is one of the tools we've created to promote entrepreneurs on the island. Lyft is able to do its work thanks to the support of solution sponsors like Sure Copy Courtney, Mastermind Strategy, Fiftieth Parallel Public Relations, Finneron Hyundai, Jabin Postal Films, Presley and Partners, and 98.9 The Goat as well as community partners like Atlas Cafe, The Island Word, My Tech Guys, McKinnon Photography, Island Soul Films, Investors Group, The Creator Space, and Douglas Magazine. Together, we're making shift happen for local businesses. Thanks for listening.